I'm Dr. Jay Anders, and this is Tell Me Where It Hurts, where we discuss some of the big challenges in health IT and how we can solve them so clinicians can do what they do best, care for patients. So I'd like to welcome everyone to another episode of Tell Me Where It Hurts. Um, today's guest is head of a very prominent uh, set of our industry as far as EHRs are concerned. We'll get to that in just a minute. But I was thinking the other day, and I've had a lot of my colleagues from the old days saying that all this new electronic healthcare record stuff is just, why, it's just not working the way it should. You just can't. It's, I hate it. It's this, it's that. It's all kinds of complaints. And then I thought back, well, what kind of advantages do we have now that they're kind of overlooking? So I'll tell a little story. I had the privilege of teaching medical students and residents for almost 20 years at the University of Illinois Medical School. And every week, a couple of afternoons a week, I would have residents in my clinic. And one of the rules I had when you came to my practice is if you're a new patient, I want you to bring in everything you take because that was before we had all the days of interoperability. It was, you had to make a list and you made a list and wrote it down on a piece of paper. Actually, it was a part of a chart, a multidisciplinary chart. So I walk into this room and the resident looks at me and I look at him and here's this young man who's got all kinds of complaints. Uh, and I say young, he was in his mid forties. I can say that now. Um, so I, I said, what's puzzling here? What, what, what's going on? He says, well, I need you to look at his medications. This gentleman had a grocery sack, an old paper grocery sack full of bottles. And I thought, oh my goodness, what in the world's going on here? So I asked him if he had some time and, and he did. And I said to my resident, I said, why don't you just get sit down, take a, make a list of this, all of this. And I said, whatever long it takes, I'll take care of the rest of the patients to load until you're done. So he did that. And back in the days when you had no way to call pharmacies or check refills or anything else, I happened to have a program on a computer uh, that was produced by uh, Goodman and Gilman and the PDR, which would you put in a list of medications and it would tell you what the medications side effects are and if there's any interactions between this list. Well, it was a long list. It was about 35 different meds, not all of which were his. So I put this in and it spit out six pages, six pages of interactions. Now I understood what his problem was. He had all kinds of interaction between all kinds of things. So the whole process over the next couple of months was to get him off of this whole list of meds and supplements and everything else he was on. Then I hearkened back to what my colleagues have been complaining about. And I said, I wonder if this would have happened today, given the state of the art of our electronic healthcare records. And I had to come up with the conclusion that it would not. We, we're sharing enough information now to make sure that a medication list is a medication list. Then you can actually keep it accurate. It's required now by the government to do med reconciliation. So thought to myself, well, I think that's progress. I think that's real progress. So I think we're better off than we used to be. We just have to still keep getting used to it and we're making innovations all the time. And that's where our guest today comes in. Um, I'm happy to introduce Marcus Perez, who's the president of Altera Digital Health 
oversees all the hospital and large physician practice assets that Harris purchased back in 2022. But he's done several things. He's been the vice president of portfolio leader for the healthcare group at Harris, vice president of government practice um, for Workday, executive vice president of sales for Harris for the public school sector, executive vice president of sales at LPS and their government practice. But he's also a Army helicopter pilot, veteran, and has had an assistant basketball coach career at the University of Missouri as an assistant coach. So he has a great background. He's been involved with this business a lot. And now he is leading the head of, I would say, one of the top five EMRs in the country. So welcome, Marcus, to Tell Me Where It Hurts. Thanks for having me today. So with your background and your leading in all the different aspects of the healthcare technology business that you've been in, tell us a little bit how you got to where you are now. <laughs> well, it's, it's certainly not a linear career. Um, so I graduated from West Point, was active duty, as you mentioned, for and was a helicopter pilot and instructor pilot for close to 10 years. Uh, loved it, uh, was deployed overseas, really enjoyed that experience. Uh, learned a lot about um, being thorough. Uh, you know, West Point's very disciplined, sort of focused school. And, and then you go uh, become an aviator, you learn how to follow checklists and be very thorough. And as a pilot, yeah, you understand that too. Um, when I got out of the military, I wanted to pursue a career in coaching uh, basketball. So I wasn't a very good player. So I think, you know, those sometimes those that can't do want to coach. Um, and I, uh, I pursued that for about 13 years, coached at prep schools, a junior college, uh, back at my alma mater for a year. And then I got the opportunity to work at uh, the University of Missouri for a guy named Quinn Snyder for five years. Awesome experiences. Loved coaching. I still actually coach a high school basketball team for fun, um, uh, which is which you know really fills my coaching bucket. Um, and then I got out of that and just happened to find a, a job in Jacksonville, Florida, doing inmate commissary sales as a sales leader. And the, uh, the person that hired me was a booster from Missouri. And he just thought that because of my military and coaching background, I could, you know, coach salespeople and I could work with, you know, uh, state, federal and, and uh, county uh, leaders. So I did that for a bit. And then I got hired by, you mentioned LPS. I, I got hired there to, to run their government solutions business and uh, quickly realized that it was the wrong business for them to be in. And so we we put the assets on the block for sale and I got hired uh, by Harris because Harris bought them. And I really loved the methodology that Harris explained during the M&A process. And so they asked me to come over and run a software company, which I'd never done before. And Jeff Bender, the CEO of Harris asked me to do it. And I laughed at him the first time, literally, because I had no idea what, you know, how to do that. And he asked, when he asked me the second time, I said, Jeff, I, I I've never run a software company. I don't know what to do. And he said, well, we'll teach you. And so, so they did. And it's been an amazing 11 years. I, I did have a one-year hiatus in the middle. I went to work at Workday uh, to run their government and education practice for a year, uh, but quickly came back to Harris uh, to get into the healthcare space with a company called Pisces. Uh, ran that for a few years and then became a portfolio leader. And then a year ago, a little over a year ago, Jeff asked me to take on these assets right before we closed the transaction. And I, 
I thought, well, how hard can it be? Sounds like fun. Great, great. So Altera, which was all scripts yep. in previous years, um, has a really long history in the industry, uh, in, including some of us who were practicing and doing some locums had got a chance to use both of those products. Um, can you tell us a bit about what's changed changed in the uh, all scripts Altera world uh, since the acquisition? Sure. So, you know, Harris does this. Uh, Harris is uh, part of Constellation Software Incorporated, the publicly traded entity. Um, and this is what we do. We buy assets. Uh, the difference between us and say private equity or venture capital is we buy assets that, and we never divest them. So we will hold these assets forever. So when you have a long horizon view, uh, you look at the assets differently, you treat them differently, you make different kinds of decisions. So our goal when we buy assets like this is to build what we call the enduring organization, a business that will last forever. And that's really what we're trying to do. So first we have this much you know, more long horizon view. Second, uh, we're part of a publicly traded entity, but that entity has a $57 billion market cap uh, and CSI has had a 37.4% CAGR over the last 17 years, compounded annual growth rate. So it's a, it's a metric for how your stock performs. Put it that in perspective, uh, we've had a better CAGR than Apple, Amazon, Google, and a whole bunch of other folks. So it's a very high performing uh, business from a you know, publicly traded entity perspective. Why is that? Well, we, this is what we do. And we have a very uh, clear, established best set of best practices, metrics. We're very disciplined in the way we approach these businesses, again, because we're going to keep them forever. Best analogy I can give you, Jay, and I do like analogies, is uh, this is a bit like how you treat your car versus how you treat a rental car, right? So we, uh, because we don't live quarter to quarter, we make long-term decisions. And so what's different, I think, is foundationally that, that, that our approach to decisions is much more disciplined with a view of the long horizon. Specifically, it's three things, right? Three legs to the stool right now, today, short term. Uh, one, we're completely invested in client success. What does that mean? When I first started, I said, well, who lies awake at night staring at the ceiling fan, worried about the success of the client? The answer was no one. So, our approach is we have a, an executive literally who is tethered to the client, asking questions about their goals and strategy. What are they trying to accomplish as an organization? How can we help them, um, right? That's the first thing is we, we just have to be really, really good at client success, which includes support, but it also includes the second thing of the second leg of the stool is we gotta get way better at project delivery, right? We, we need to deliver successful projects. If you're going to take somebody through an upgrade, when, when they're done with that upgrade, they should have a better uh, solution than the one they had before they upgraded. So we're very focused on those two things. We brought folks from Harris over to lead those uh, functions. And then the third leg of the stool, which I think is the most important for our long-term, is you have to make really good product decisions in terms of R&D investments but those investments have to deliver value for the client. We call that stakeholder value. So we don't want to spend money 
on products that don't deliver real value for the clinicians. Ultimately, and, and because maybe I'm, I was in the military, I, I, I feel this to my soul. Ultimately, our job is to serve the client. That's our job. Our job is to serve the clinicians who are the ones providing care. Because if it's my wife, my child, my mom on the table, I don't want the software to be the, the in, uh, inhibitor for the physician to not provide great care. So that's, you know, sounds pretty simple. I think it is relatively simple uh, conceptually. Uh, it's just, you know, it takes time to enact because I do think it's a much different approach than what our clients have been used to in the past. Well, one of the things I've had the pleasure of doing is I've met most of the medical leadership of both Sunrise and TouchWorks uh, over the last several months, and they are an impressive group. Um, I think that share the vision that you actually are discussing today, which is really lovely to see in this business because a lot of electronic healthcare out there is not focused on that. They're, they're focused on other things, and the other things have been for years submitting some type of claim somewhere, as opposed to how do I really take care of the patient that's in front of me, and how really do you design something that's delightful for the clinician to use, as well as provides that care for the patient? Right. So along those lines, um, tell me where you think you see things going for TouchWorks and Sunrise. Yeah, so we actually, when we bought the business, uh, split the organization into 10 separate business units, many around the product. So we do have Sunrise Touchworks Paragon, which we will continue to, to uh, you know, uh, invest in because at Harris PSI, we don't believe in sunsetting products. We believe in making sure that the product is useful for a client as long as they want to use it. Now we do try to enhance things a certain way and give them off ramps to move to new technology if that's what they want. But some folks don't want to spend hundreds of millions of dollars on a new EHR. And so uh, they can use that money elsewhere. And so we're continuing to invest in that product. And early on, I had a CIO say, well, you can't possibly have two EHRs. I said, well, we actually have four, uh, Sunrise, Touchworks, Paragon, and a product called Opal which is really uh, used well in Australia, actually. So I think what we're trying to do is continue to make good investments in those products, understanding the three legs of the stool. Whatever we do has to be take, uh, deliver client success, right? And it has to deliver projects with quality and it has to deliver products that are built on time, uh, quality products that deliver stakeholder value. And, the idea behind this, Jay, is if you do that, your clients will believe you're insanely great. Hey, these people are great. They understand us and they're working with us. That's what partners do. Uh, and so in the near term, that's what we're focused on, right? I think in the long term, every technology firm, every vertical market software firm in the healthcare space needs to be thinking about where healthcare is going to be 10 years from now, not where it is today. And, and I see that as a real problem, right? That I'm, I'm, I'm kind of a sports guy. I, you know, Wayne Gretzky used to say, you don't pass the puck to where the player is, you pass the puck to where the player is going to be. That, that's what we have to do. We have to be thinking about where's healthcare going to be in even five years? How do we do things that will 
make us a viable and important partner when they get there. And so if you look back and say five years ago, nobody thought telehealth or, you know, home health or monitoring at home or some of those things were going to be as important as they are today. Everybody said, oh, no, no one's going to get their health care virtually. Well, guess what? Here we are. So what else is going to happen? And I think the biggest challenge that we face long term, so short term is really simple. Do those three things and do them well um, and communicate honestly and transparently. Those are some of our core values at Harris, right? So uh, quick aside, we have 10 core values at Harris. It's, it's what we believe and it's the filter through which we pass every decision we make. Things like bad news doesn't get better with time or understand your reality and make difficult decisions. These are our core values. And so upon that, to, to build a business that lasts forever, upon those 10 core values, we have three pillars. One is operational excellence, which really means let's be a little bit better today than we were yesterday. If you do that every day, you'll continue to incrementally improve. The second pillar is people, it's clients and staff, right? If you do the right things by your clients or your staff, you're going to grow and you're going to last forever. And the third pillar is growth, organic and acquired. But you know, growth just happens as a byproduct of the other two. Do the right things by your people and staff and clients. Uh, try to be a little bit better every day. Growth is a natural byproduct over time. But because we never divest, we have time to, to steadily improve as opposed to we need to do something by the end of the quarter to, to send some message to the market. So. With that in mind, those three those three things you know client success, project delivery, R and D uh, investments that deliver value for the client that's near term, but that's an always thing. Past the puck where the healthcare is going to be that that long term is to me. If you think about it, uh, you mentioned it in the opening, right? The data doesn't follow the patient very well. So I'm 55. I try to take good care of myself. I exercise. I go. I'm, I'm a little wonky. I, I banged a helicopter on the ground once. So I go to the chiropractor once a month. I, I see my physical therapist once a month. I go to the acupuncturist once a month. You know, I, I do these things, right? But if I go out today out of the hotel and get hit by a bus, uh, the clinician who sees me has no idea about any of those things. More important, doesn't even know that I have a uh, history of blood clots. And so these are the things that I think we have to solve for the future, right? It's it's less about buzzword bingo uh, and more about how do we help clinicians have as much information at the right place at the right time to make the right decision. And that's what we have to get to. And I think the platform of health that all scripts, you know, that was the vision, uh, but it was talked a lot about, but never really produced. I, I think for us, that idea of a microservices containerized infrastructure is the right approach for an EHR because that single monolithic database built on you know, 20, 30-year-old technology is just not viable when it comes to the flow of data. Because you've got to, and again, I like analogies, I look at this like the EHR should be like the electrical system in your house. You want to plug in a coffee maker, you plug in a coffee maker. You want to plug in a toaster, you plug in a toaster. You find a better coffee maker, you don't have to change the electrical system. You just plug it in. And, and if, you, if you think about it, Jay, right, 
we're never going to be cutting edge when it comes to ophthalmology, let's say, right? It, there are some really smart, really good businesses that are going to always be leading edge on great technology for ophthalmologists. Well, if a, if a client of ours says, look, we want to use this ophthalmology product, my answer is, hey, if you think that's going to deliver the best care possible, let's plug that bad boy in. Why wouldn't we want to do that? Right? Why wouldn't we want to be so open and create this infrastructure through microservices and containers so that that stuff is really easy? That's where healthcare is going because everybody wants more access to data. And if you think about that, the why behind it, one, we, we can make better decisions. But two, you start thinking about AI, machine learning, you know, RPA. Those are the things that, those are just tools, right? Those are just tools. It's the data that matters. If you use AI, but you don't have great data, the answers you get from AI are flawed. You know, I, I love chat GPT. It's interesting. A lot of college kids using it to uh, do their homework. <laughs> the, the, the problem is it's only good, as good as the data that it spits out. And oftentimes, uh, what you're, if you study it a little bit, it, it turns out that chat GPT can be wrong. Well, it can hallucinate. That's right. And so... That tells me that while AI is a great tool, it's dependent on the data. And so for us, the long-term vision, because I think I understand where healthcare is headed, we wanna, we wanna be able to have more patient engagement, more patients owning data, more access to data, more use of tools like AI and machine learning. Okay, well then what matters most then is the ability to plug all this stuff in. I could. I could say that we're going to develop all of those things, right? And we're going to have best to breed dental, but we're not. You can't. You can't be great at everything. And so you have to be open, I think. And that's where we're headed, which I think is different, right? Because right now, today, we're not that. Right now, today, we're like everybody else. We have this single monolithic database model. And that was great 20 years ago, right? It's not going to be great. 10 years from now, how are we going to get from where we are to there while still doing these things fundamentally to deliver value for our clients? You know, that's, that's a very refreshing aspect and take on the industry right now, because you, I agree with you a thousand percent on the fact that it, it is about the data. It is about getting what people need to know when they need to know it and where they need to know it. Um, as well as not trying to be, well, most a monopoly of everything. Because why do we have specialties in medicine anyway? I mean, you don't want me, I'm an internist. You don't want me operating on your brain. Right. You just don't well, want that. A, not going to happen. A, that's a great analogy, Jay. I'm going to steal it if that's okay, because I think that's a, a really good uh, sort of parallel, right? You don't have clinicians who do everything, why would you have an EHR that thinks they can be great at everything? It just doesn't make sense. You know, and this, this idea of interoperability and a fully integrated system, right? As a clinician, did you really care how it was tethered together under the hood? Or did you just need the data in the right place at the right time to make the right decision? That's well put. Um, because I would say 99% of the colleagues I talk to don't care one whit 
about how it's connected underneath or how it gets where it needs to go. What they do care about is their interaction with it and how they right. can get the most out of it. Um, but we're getting there. Uh, but it, it, it's going to be all about the data. And it's all about the patient care as well, because we're going into this new value-based payment with Medicare Advantage. It's growing like leaps and bounds. Um, and it's and I believe this to my core, that's the way we should practice medicine anyway. We should be after the best care for that patient and manage their diseases and their conditions to the best way we can. And mm -hmm. that's patient-centered, not billing-centered or not reimbursement-centered. It's a different way of looking at things. Right. So the RCM that we are used to in the old days is got mm -hmm. a new paradigm right now. It's, yep. we, we got to demonstrate what we're doing is actually moving the needle on patient health care and quality. Right. Um, so how do you, how do you weave that into your roadmaps of the things you're in charge of to, to make sure we get there? Yeah, I think if you, you know, again, if you're trying to pay attention to, or if you do pay attention to what's happening to hospitals, particularly in the domestic market, right? The number one thing right now is, is, they're operating on razor thin margins. So how do you help them? You know, I'm a business guy. I think, you know, most CEOs of hospitals, while they care desperately about care and providing great care, they also have a business to run. Okay, well, how do you help them run a great business? Well, the beauty of business is it's relatively straightforward. To, to, to have good, healthy margins, you either have to have improved revenue or lower costs. It's pretty simple, right? If you're running a business that's low margin and you need to improve the margin, it's one of those two levers. Okay, are our clients maximizing their charge capture? Are they sending claims with a really, really high clean claim rate? Because you know, payers today are designed, I think, on some level to not pay. So how do you make sure that what you send to the payer is as flawless as possible while also making sure you capture everything you've done. In the middle of, let's say, surgery, the clinician isn't thinking about, oh, let me make sure my notes are perfect so the hospital gets paid for every piece of equipment. They're worried about you know, saving a life. So what can we do from a technology standpoint to facilitate better coding, right? Better charge capture and then better billing processes that will lead to very high uh, clean claim rates and very low DNFB. How do we do that? That's, that's one thing we're working on right now. Uh, another thing we're working on right now is, okay, how do we leverage partners, right? Third parties to come in and, and be able to say, hey, let's take a look at where you spend your money and let's figure out if there's ways for us to mitigate some of that spend by using uh, tools that analyze the spend and then look at economies of scale and buying power and things like that, right? And eliminating waste and because now we can lower your OPEX, right? If I walked into a hospital today and said, listen, I think with our tools, you could improve your charge capture, your, your revenue line by 3% and I could lower your operating expenses by 3%. That improves your margin by 6%. And if you're operating on a 2% margin today, would you be interested in that? I think 
any CEO in the country of a hospital will go, oh my God, tell me more. Now, I think that the challenge we face in the market, let's be honest, is all the elephants are spoken for. Right? They all I like that. Yeah. And so if you spent half a billion dollars on an EHR five years ago, you're not someone who'd be interested in what we can do because now you have to go back to your board or whoever and say, well, hey, that 500 million we spent you know, five years ago, I, I want to take some of that stuff we bought out and put something else in, I, I, right? But who needs this the most? Do, do those organizations that could spend a billion dollars on an EHR need our help? Probably not. Uh, I think there are 564 hospitals in the mid-market in the domestic, uh, in, in the US, that are desperate for a better solution, desperate. And they're the ones who need not only the ability to you know, improve margin, but they also need a system that's so flexible that they can tailor it to their specific needs without having to spend a pile of money to do it. And I actually think, Jay, we already have that, right? If you talk to a clinician today, they would say to you, Sunrise is amazingly flexible. Every time I visit a client, I walk the halls. I talk, stop at the nursing stations. I talk to physicians walking the halls. And I asked them, hey, what do you think of the product? And the other day I was at a hospital and a nurse said, I like your product so much better than the competitor, which we won't name, because you give us the flexibility to make minor changes to it so it works for us in the moment. That mid-market hospital segment, they need that more than anybody. And they need the help with the with the revenue and OPEX more than anybody. And right now, that's I think where we're trying to you know, grow. There's the growth opportunity. I absolutely agree. And there the inequity between large medical systems and these smaller hospital systems. And most of the hospitals you're talking about has a small, you know, clinic group whether they're all in the same building or they're scattered, there's four or five doctors that have clinics around that small hospital. Um, mm-hmm. They are almost forgotten in, in right. certain areas. And I, I find that a shame. But mm-hmm. the margin comment you made was brings back remembering sitting on a Catholic host- hospital system board and Sister Beverly Ann, God rest her soul, um, would always park herself, chair the board right by me. Every board meeting, she sat right by me. <laughs> And she would always lean over to me and says, Jay, remember something. No margin, no mission. That's right. And she's absolutely correct. She was absolutely correct. Um, Let's switch and talk a little bit about where you see the changing role of of the clinical data that that we really, really need to be able to transmit and all the blocking rules that have come out and sharing of this information that the ONC has has come and I've had conversations with Mickey about this. It's, you know, he's, we're, we're there. We're going to be sharing information. Mm-hmm. That's bottom line. Um, the clients that you're talking to, what, mm-hmm. are, what are their feelings about this? That's a great question, Jay. I, I think the clients look at this and say, listen, we need the data and we need the tools. Again, from my perspective, the tools are only as good as the data that you use the tools for. 
unlike a lot of vendors in this space, we genuinely want to, we think all these new rules, you know, from the ONC, we, we think this is, is good for healthcare. You know, is it great for us? Well, if you're narrow-minded enough to believe that you have to use all of my stuff and only my stuff because that's the only way you get interoperability, one of my least favorite uh, terms in healthcare, um, if, if that's what you believe, that's very self-serving. If, on the other hand, you know, your goal is to serve the clinician, then you should be willing to say, hey, you know what? All these new rules, this is actually good. This helps us figure out how we can serve the client. I, I start every leadership meeting we have with this simple definition of leadership, which is you know, the ability to serve others for their benefit, right? Leadership isn't about serving others for your benefit. It's about serving others for their benefit. And so you know, we look at this the same as a vendor in the space, our job is to serve the hospital or the large physician practice for their benefit. And if that means, you know, some of these new rules mean you got to be better at sharing data. Great. Okay. Let's do that. How do we do that? Well, how do we do that efficiently? How do we do that as economically as possible? Uh, that to me is, again, I, we're never going to be great at uh, ophthalmology or, or dental or right, some of these very niche things. Why do we pretend like you can only use our stuff? Why? Is that helping the clinician provide great care? If it's your mom with glaucoma, don't you want her to have, don't you want her clinician to have the best ophthalmology solution technology available? I would think you would. You would think. You would think. Yeah. And when you, I think you look at it from that perspective, these, this new stuff coming out, which we've been expecting for some time, this is good. I agree. I think it is good. Um, the devil's always in the details about no how question. it gets implemented and how it gets transmitted, all, all of the things that have to be done to, to make that all happen. Um, you know, interoper I like your interoperability is not the most not the best word for this. Really, mm -hmm. it's get me what I need to know when I need to know it. Interoperable it. is not really what I'm talking about because we're in, we've been interoperable for years. I had a fax machine in my office. <laughs> I was as interoperable as you can get. Uh, they wanted one of my medical records. <laughs> off it went. I was right. interoperable. And that's kind of the way they've started out with this so far. Mm -hmm. Now you're going to yep. get dumped with all kinds of stuff that you're going to have to sort through and do something with. So it's going That's to be right. interesting, the devil in those details. Mm -hmm. We're kind of coming up on the end of our time here. And I, I asked this of, of all my guests. Okay. If you had a magic wand and you could wave cool. it and change one thing in healthcare IT or healthcare, what would it be? Wow. That's a great question. I, I think it would be the way healthcare IT vendors talk about IT. Like, I don't believe in this concept of digital revolution. We're going to revolutionize digital healthcare. Re really? I think it's an evolution, right? It's this idea that I want to continue to do a little bit more and a little bit better for the client and a little bit more and a little bit better understanding where the client's going, right? It's a it's a climb, right? We, we chose Altera as the name of the business when we rebranded after we bought the assets. 
because we wanted to create link what we're trying to do to a, a brand, right? And Altera is, right, basically, if you look at our logo, it looks like a, a mountain range. And it's this idea of we're steadily climbing towards a new summit of healthcare technology. That's what we're trying to do. Well, you don't climb Mount Everest in a day, right? It, it, this is a process. And if I had a magic wand, I would say to all healthcare IT people, both who work in clinical settings and who work in commercial settings like we do, uh, can we please stop talking about revolutionizing healthcare? Can we just talk about how do we make things better so that the clinician has the right information at the right place at the right time to make the best decision possible? I think that's the part that we get at Harris. Again, maybe it's a it's a nice dovetail to the way we look at running a business, which is this long horizon view. You know, I get tickled when clients say things, you know, post acquisition, you know, competitors do what competitors do, start spreading FUD in the market. Oh, you know, these assets are going to, you know, going to die. And, uh, you know, the, the business is going to shutter in a few years. Again, CSI has a 57 billion. It's actually $58 billion market cap now. Uh, and this incredible performance year over year uh, from, with our compounded annual growth rate. But we're not going anywhere. We're patient. We're going to make good investments. Those investments will deliver value to the client. We have to be significantly better at client success. Let's be honest, right? Our, our class scores are what our class scores are, and that's probably fair. Uh, we have to now absorb that information accept it right one of our again one of our core values understand reality make difficult decisions we i think that's our reality let's understand it okay what do we do how do we get better let's start having better conversations let's start doing little things that show incremental improvement better today than we were yesterday and if we do that we will evolve the technology and evolve the services as healthcare evolves right this isn't a revolution it's an evolution. It's a very different thing. Having been, having worn a uniform, I understand what, you know, sort of direct conflict looks like. That's not this. This should be an evolution. And if I had a magic wand, I would ask people to, can we look at this more from a strategic long-term approach as opposed to some big bang magic bullet? There isn't one. There isn't one. Some vendors in the space have technology that's 20 plus 30 years old built on a platform that it's hard to find developers for. Well, how are you going to revolutionize healthcare with that? And you can't. That that it's is not. a fantastic answer. I have that's one of the better answers I've had on on the the podcast. So I I agree with it. I appreciate it, but you're absolutely correct about our industry. Marcus, it's been a pleasure having you here on our podcast. Um, if people want to get a hold of folks at Altera or you to talk about more of this, how do they do that? It's, we're easy to find, right? You go to alterahealth.com, right? You can find us there. Um, uh, you can reach me anytime. Uh, I'm easy to find too. All you have to do is Google it. I'm, I'm really easy to find. You can go to the to the Harris website and find Altera. There's a link there. Uh, we're really, really, really easy to find. And I'm happy to talk to anybody anytime about what we're trying to do. I'll be honest with you, Jay. 
it's aspirational right now. We got a lot of short-term, you know, uh, issues to solve for our clients. Um, again, class is what it is. Let's do better every day. Marcus, it's been a pleasure. And thank you for being on our podcast. You bet. Thank you so much. That's all for today. Thanks for listening to Tell Me Where It Hurts. Tune in to Healthcare Now Radio and Podcast Network each month for the latest episode. To learn more about Medicomp Systems, visit our website at www.medicomp.com. You can also follow us on Twitter at MedicompSys or myself at MedicompDoc, or check out the show notes for links. See you next time.